We could just have kept singing, couldn't we? Singing the gospel. What a treasure that is. And I agree with that hymn. How can a mortal tongue explain what God has done for us? Fully explain it. Um, Overwhelmed by it. We're in in Nehemiah chapter 12. The title of the message is Dedication of the Wall, Celebrating God's Kingdom Advancing. Celebrating God's Kingdom Advancing. In order to understand what's going on in this picture, we really need to get a, a picture of what this place was like after the judgment of God had fallen upon it. Turn to Lamentations chapter 5. Verse 1, remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink, the wood we must get for be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill, and boys stagger under loads of wood. Old men have left the city gate, and young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever, and your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Unless we have utterly reje- you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. The sin of Israel had caught up with her. Israel had been taken off into captivity. Judah was then taken off into captivity in 587 BC. And they had been away over a hundred years before God began to return them to this place. You remember they first came back and began to rebuild the temple. This is the book of Ezra, what it tells us there. And then Nehemiah, as we've read through this story in Nehemiah, we've seen 
that Nehemiah came back to rebuild the wall. The place was in rubble. It was in shambles. It was a desolate outpost. Nehemiah had left the courts of the Persian king full of splendor and grandeur, incredible opulence, and come to this wilderness city abandoned by God because of the sin of her people. And we've seen in the first six chapters how God gave them the grace to rebuild this wall that was at least as tall as these lights over here, nine feet wide, two and a half miles around, and they built it in 52 days by the grace of God. And today, they're going to dedicate it. They're going to celebrate because God's working in his people at this point has to do with Jerusalem, has to do with Israel has to do with the temple, has to do with the city. And God is doing an amazing work among these people. And we've seen in chapter 7 how God gathered his people. He selected them by their genealogies. In chapter 8, we saw that he had the law read to them and they're mourning over the law. In chapter 9, we see Israel's sin recounted And God's incredible mercy over and over and over and over again. And in chapter 10, we see Israel once again reaffirm their covenant before God to do certain things because of what God has done for them. Today, we're going to look at celebration, taking time to reflect on what God has done. Celebration begins with consecration. Celebration leads to worship and celebration gives hope for the race ahead. There's something really important about celebrating what God has done in our lives. And we're going to see that today as we go through this passage. If you'll turn to Nehemiah 12. They come to the point of dedicating the wall. In verse 27, we read, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals and harps and lyres. The wall was complete. It was time to celebrate what the Lord had done. One of my thoughts in this is that we don't celebrate enough. We pray and pray and pray and ask God to do something. And as soon as he does it, it's like a speed bump. We run right over it and head off into life with maybe a slight praise or a slight thanksgiving. And we don't really savor what he's done. In Ezra chapter 6, At the finishing of the temple, notice what they did. They did the exact same thing. Verse 13 of Ezra 6. Then according to the word sent by Darius the king to Tethani, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shathabozani and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. 
And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. They finished their building by decree, and listen to this, by the decree of God of Israel, by the decree of Cyrus, the king of Persia, the decree of Darius, and the decree of Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Don't you just love that? The Lord God of heaven decreed it, Cyrus decreed it, Darius decreed it, Artaxerxes decreed it. Three pagan kings decreed that this temple should be rebuilt. The hand of the king is in, is, the heart of the king is in the hand of God, isn't it? And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And in verse 16, and the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house all these different things, the bulls and the rams and the lambs. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God of Israel as it was written in the book of Moses. When God worked on their behalf, they celebrated. And we want to talk about celebration today. Another word for celebration is rejoicing. It's very important for us as believers to be aware of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God is going to do. And for that to be centermost in our mind. So first, celebration is taking the time to reflect on what God has done. If you'll remember, they celebrated the Feast of Booze. In Ezra, the latter part of Ezra, after the part I just read, it talked about they celebrated the Passover. They're celebrating the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. They had much to celebrate. How long do you celebrate? When you've prayed and asked God to do something, how long do you celebrate the answer to that prayer? I'll have to admit, I celebrate for a little bit and then it's on to the next problem. And I bear down on the next problem. And in reality, what gives wind to our sails is the continual celebration of who God is and what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do in our lives. Many of us, our sails are empty. There is no wind in them. And we're doing our very best and working our very hardest to try to face an uncertain future. May I suggest to you that these people faced an uncertain future, but they had a faithful God. He's the same God we have. And as we get a hold of celebration and rejoice in that, God will use it to make us more like Christ and to use us for his kingdom. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, you may just want to write these down. If you remember, in, almost, in most of the letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Philemon, we hear something like this coming from the mouth of the Apostle Paul. 
We'll just do 1 Corinthians. I give thanks to my God always for you because the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are, were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is constantly celebrating the work of Christ on behalf of the churches. In most of his letters to the churches, he begins by praising God for what he is doing in their lives. He is celebrating that. He is rejoicing. And he says, I'm constantly doing this as I pray for you. As we pray for each other, are we celebrating the work that God is doing in each of our lives? Are we celebrating our salvation, the salvation of those in our body, those across this country who know Jesus, those across the world who know Jesus? Are we celebrating the work that he's doing? As you look at Jerusalem, there's, it's not very impressive compared to Persia. And Cody talked about it last week. The kingdom work is not impressive compared to world standards. It is not. Christ was not born in a palace. He was born in a manger. He was a carpenter from a very humble family. He died on a cross. His followers were unschooled, ordinary men. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that is the smallest of plants and yet in the end becomes the largest plant in the garden. The kingdom of God is by stealth. It is unseen, unnoticed by men. It's not impressive. And yet that's the way God wants it. Because in the end, it will be the most glorious kingdom that's ever been. It already is. We serve the glorious king. But a lot of times we look at our church, we look at the churches. Most churches in America are 75, 65 people. That's the average size church in America. We look at the big churches, but most of God's work is underground. It's unseen, but it's real. It's changing the lives of people across the globe. Every Sunday, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation are singing the praises of our God. But just to look on the surface, not that impressive. To look at Jesus, they were not that impressed with Jesus. Yet he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has chosen to be despised. He has chosen to be rejected. But one day he will, be the, he will gloriously reign. Even as he does in, in heaven now. But, they, but Paul celebrates what God's done. What do we celebrate? His protection, his provision, his salvation, his sanctification. 
Are you different than you were when you first trusted Jesus? Can you see the difference Christ has made in your life? We should be in continual celebration of what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. Luke 15 tells us this. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Every time one sinner repents, heaven celebrates. Heaven celebrates. The expansion of God's kingdom is the most important thing in the mind of God. And this wall that was built, as insignificant as it appears, is part of God's kingdom advancing. Notice in verse 30, we read that the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Before we can rejoice and celebrate, we have to be, have to have dealt with our sin, don't we? That's why some of us don't rejoice, is we are weighed down by our sin. We are under such a load that we can't possibly lift up our eyes and rejoice in the king of heaven. We don't know exactly what the purification was of these Levites and the priests, probably a ceremonial washing, probably repentance of their sin, maybe abstinence from physical relations with women, uh, maybe a certain type of diet, but they did things to prepare themselves for worship. How do we prepare ourselves to celebrate? We should celebrate. How do we do that? How do we deal with our sin? Could be anxiety, could be unbelief, could be lust, could be greed, could be anger, could be bitterness, and the list goes on. The solution is the same. Number one, if we're believers, then it's already been dealt with by God. Christ's sacrifice has taken the wrath of God for our sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we read this. There, verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange. He took our sin, we received his righteousness. So as we look at our lives, as imperfect as they are, we need to reckon as believers that we have been forgiven by God and that we wear a robe of righteousness. That's the first way that we begin to get ready to celebrate. If you can't celebrate when you realize what's been done for you in Christ, I don't think you're alive. Because it's glorious in every way possible. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have been radically changed if we know Jesus. Radically, radically changed. 
So first, we acknowledge that we have been, we have died, been buried and raised with Christ. Secondly, we rejoice that he will give us everything that we need and that nothing can separate us from him. So we rejoice that that fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins continues to cleanse us from our sin. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If he has given you Christ, brothers and sisters, there's nothing he will withhold from you that you need. Whatever the situation, whatever the challenge, whatever the strife, Whatever the, whatever the situation, he will give you what you need. And he promises in verse 32, verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it's written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Our sin has been nailed to the cross. Christ has received the wrath of God for our sin. We have been forgiven. And he promises to be with us. And he promises to help us continue to eradicate sin in our own lives. And that he's never going to leave us or forsake us. No matter how bad your bad day is, he will never leave you or forsake you. Whatever you need for gospel work or for yourself, he will provide it in Jesus Christ. If that doesn't set us up to celebrate, I don't know what will. When we take the Lord's Supper, it's about dealing with our sin so we can do what? Celebrate, right? Deal with our sin. Reckon that it's been forgiven by Christ and follow him. Celebration leads to worship. Before we get to that, let's go back. In repenting of our sin, forsaking it as we treasure our relationship with Christ. You know, it doesn't take much for us to go from passionate love for following God to duty. It just doesn't take much, does it? It doesn't take much in our marriages, men, to go from passionately loving our, our wives to simply checking the boxes and making sure we're doing the right thing. 
Valentine's was yesterday. Many of us could have gone to the store and got our card, checked the box. We could have ordered some flowers, checked the box. We could have said some words, checked the box. We could have taken them out for a nice meal, checked the box. We could have even gone above and beyond the call of duty and done a honeydew, checked the box twice. I don't know about you, men, but my wife has this built-in radar and she can see right through that like that. Our wives can tell when, when we're operating out of a duty love instead of out of a passionate love. They really can tell the difference. If our wives can tell, so can our God. How much more? Christ didn't die for us that we would have a dutiful Christian life. If we can't get some passion in our sails. Now the problem is we can't get passion in our sails unless we do one thing. And that is that we treasure Christ. That is the answer. That is what changes us radically. If you remember Matthew 13, 44, the parable of the hidden treasure, a man found a treasure hidden in a field and he buried it and he went off and he sold everything he had and he bought the field to get the treasure. He, everything didn't matter, just the treasure. When we slip into duty religion, Christ is no longer our treasure. We ought to do this and we ought to do that and we should do this and we should do that. And we feel really guilty when we don't do that. And so our answer is to get accountability and to try harder. The problem is we still haven't addressed the heart issue, which is we don't treasure the one who's supposed to be treasured. He is the treasure. He is the pearl of great price. He is amazing beyond all description. He is the one worthy of everything that we do to be done with a heart of love for him. If you turn to Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3, we have the Ten Commandments. We all know the Ten Commandments. Notice what he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I am God and what did I do? I set you free. I set you free. You shall have no other gods before me. What's he saying to us? Treasure me. Treasure me. 
Stop treasuring your other gods. Stop treasuring yourself. Treasure me. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do you do that? By treasuring Christ. How do you treasure Christ? You make him the focus of your life by the grace of God. And as you treasure him and the beauty of who he is, then you become like the Apostle Paul who says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Anything short of that, friends, and we're down into man-made religion, we may even be saved. And yet, the joy of the Lord is not our strength. And we're just slugging it out. We're giving what we're supposed to give and we're showing up at church and we're, we're even evangelizing some and, and we're doing all these things. But there's no joy there because we've lost the treasure. God, the supreme treasure, and his wonderful son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has become dull. We've not focused on him. So to consecrate ourselves, we must hold on to the treasure. Ultimately, dealing with our sin means holding on to the treasure. Well, you don't understand. I've got this issue with whatever it is, and I just can't seem to lick it. And I'm, I'm, I'm memorizing scriptures, and I have accountability, and, you know, I've got everybody watching me to make sure I don't do something wrong, and here we go on and on and on and on. Are you treasuring Jesus? Do you treasure him? I submit to you, if you treasure Jesus, those other things fall into place. Because the reality is all those other things are you treasuring something else but Jesus. That's what all sin is. All sin is little idols that we've now treasured and we're looking for them for hope and help instead of Jesus. Jesus died for you to set you free from your little idols and me from my little idols. And to worship him alone. So the real problem is not my sin. The real problem is what? I don't treasure Jesus. I treasure something else besides Jesus. I look somewhere else for help besides Jesus. That's what these people were guilty of. We read in chapter 9 of how God he created the world and he selected Abraham and he set them free from the Egyptians and he brought them through the wilderness and he planted them in a good land and he did all these things for them and at every turn they had an idol to worship. Why? 
Because they didn't treasure God. They did not treasure him, even though he had set them free from the Egyptians. He chose them of all the people on the face of the earth to bless them with his law. He gave them this incredible land that they didn't have to work for. And at every turn, no matter what he did, they treasured everything else but him. And that's why he eventually came and let the Babylonians destroy Jerusalem. Totally devastated. And we see little glimpses here that they're treasuring God. This dedication of the temple, they're treasuring God. The dedication of all, they're treasuring God. I got bad news for you. Chapter 13, they're not treasuring God. They made a covenant to treasure God, and two chapters later, they are back at it again. I'm kind of a simple person. A lot simpler than I think I am, actually. I'm pretty proud, but I'm simple. One thing is what is desired. One thing. Treasure Jesus. Well, I missed my Bible reading. What's Bible reading supposed to do? Help you treasure Jesus. I missed my time in prayer. I got I got to pray for thirty minutes. I committed to pray for thirty minutes. Who said you had to do that? Are you praying to treasure Jesus? Well, I'm coming to church every Sunday. Great. Are you treasuring Jesus? Well, I shared my faith five times this week. Wonderful. In it, did you treasure Jesus? Did the people who you shared with realize that Jesus is amazing? That he's beyond anything we know? Did it come through to those people? Celebration always leads to worship. Celebration always leads to worship. Very telling little verse here. I love these little nuggets just right in the middle of the passage. Nehemiah 12, verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Same exact wording in Ezra chapter 6 with the temple. God made them rejoice. What does that mean, that God made them rejoice? I submit to you it's because of who he is and what he's done. If you and I would spend time studying who he is and what he's done, we would have no problem treasuring him. We would have no problem rejoicing in him. It's not a hard thing if we understand who he is. We're just so busy we don't have time for that. With our very important lives, 
If you will focus on who he is and what he's done, you will celebrate all the time. And when you're not, it's because you've lost sight of who he is and what he's done. This all started when they started reading the Bible to them. They read the book of the law. They started weeping. They started mourning. In chapter 9, they rehearsed God's faithfulness to them. We went through the book of Colossians. Paul's whole thing in Colossians was what? Treasure Christ. Let go of the man-made religion. Let go of the, let go of the asceticism. Let go of the mysticism. Let go of all the religious mumbo-jumbo and treasure Jesus. Treasure him. Look at Ephesians 3. It always comes to worship. It always comes to worship. Here's Paul again. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every, this is verse 14 of chapter 3, from whom every family in earth and on heaven is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. For what purpose? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's another way of saying treasure Jesus. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of what? Of his love. We desperately need to understand the breadth, length, height, and depth of Christ's love. And he is praying that the saints will be able to do that. I'm telling you, friends, you and I have got the tip of the iceberg on Jesus. We haven't begun to plumb the depths of who he is and what he's done. But we think we have. And then we're running off on our own strength to serve him. Paul says... He's praying that they'll have the strength and the power through the Spirit in our inner being to be able to have Christ dwell in our hearts through faith. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you want to be a Spirit-filled Christian? You're going to have to be able to treasure Jesus. That is the key. I love the picture of Joshua in the Old Testament. Remember the tent of meeting? They went out away from the camp and Moses went out there and he saw God face to face and he went away and he had to put something over his face and his face was a glow. And he would leave and the Bible says, and Joshua stayed in the tent. Fellowshipping with God. Because he had to, because, Joshua said, because Moses said, listen, you need to spend at least 45 minutes here after I leave. Oh, great. Super. What a blessing. Need to be here for an hour and a half. You'll be good. When you know who Jesus is, forget the time. They treasured him. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ever ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Christ can do more in you and I than we can ever imagine. But it's only going to become as we treasure Jesus. That's the way he's worded it. That's the way he's commanded it. You shall have no other gods before me. Treasure me. The sad, sad part of Jesus' life was the nation of Israel didn't treasure Jesus. He came into his own and his own did not receive him. And many who name his name don't treasure Jesus. And no one in here, in this room, treasures him enough. We are so far short of what he deserves. I can't even explain it. I can't even describe it. But that's our key, friends. The key to everything you need in life is treasuring Jesus. That will bring about heartfelt repentance. That will give you, to, that will give you the power to turn away from those ridiculous, immoral sins that we have in our lives because of him. He is the one who can purify us. He is the one that can cause us to change. It's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about him in the Old Testament as well. I love verse 43. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Wow. The joy was spreading everywhere. Now, most of y'all know we have some young love in our home. We've got Josh and Anna. We've got Max and Bree. And their joy is spreading everywhere. You can't stop it. I mean, Max comes to our say, hi, Max. He goes, hey, Mr. Renfro, walks right past me. Debris. Not really. He's pretty respectful. Bree, on the other hand, why are, we, why are we having this? Max loves these. I like them too. Can I have some? No, they're for Max. Well, you can have one, but make sure you save plenty for Max, okay? This is called treasuring, isn't it? It's wonderful to watch Anna and Josh treasure each other and Max and Brita treasure each other. It should be a picture on a small scale of how we should treasure Jesus. In, the Reve in Revelation, we had a church and they were condemned because they lost their first love. Have you lost your first love? Have I lost my first love? All of our religious do's and don'ts 
are, going, are not going to help us if we don't treasure Jesus. If we treasure him, we'll be able to obey his law. We'll love to obey his law. We'll love to repent of sin. It'll be a joy to do that. He is the one that we need to treasure. Or has our relationship just evolved with Christ into a, a checkbox list? I went to church this Sunday. I, I put something in the offering plate. I've been kind to my wife. And I read my Bible for 30 minutes today, and I read two chapters. Oh, and I even memorized a, a verse of Scripture. Who cares? If you don't treasure Jesus, who cares? I can tell you for sure who doesn't care. That's God. Because it's all about treasuring him. He treasures Jesus. The Godhead treasures themselves. And they want us to do the same. Celebration, obviously, is important for us to reflect on what God's done. Celebration begins with consecration, which begins with treasuring Jesus. Celebration leads to worship. How, what else can we do except worship? When you treasure Jesus, worship is natural. When we read on the screen or when we read in our hymnal what God has done, we treasure him. Finally, celebration gives hope for the race ahead. All of us know that life has challenges ahead. We all know in our country challenges are coming ahead in all ways, shapes, and forms. Not to mention just the general everyday life and all that it brings. What's going to put wind in your sails? What is going to do that? Exodus 33, 12 and 13, 12 through 16. Moses knew what would put wind in his sails. Exodus 33. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. I love that. God, if you're not going to go with us, don't take us any farther. Moses knew he couldn't do this without God. He treasured the presence of God with him. 
Philippians 4, 6 through 8. The New Testament calls us to continually rejoice in the Lord, in Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We all hang on to do nothing without, do not be anxious about anything. You can't keep that commandment unless you're doing the first one, which is what? Rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's another way of saying what? Treasure Jesus. You want peace? Treasure Jesus. You want a freedom from anxiety? Treasure Jesus. You want freedom from lust? Treasure Jesus. You want freedom from bitterness? Treasure Jesus. You want freedom from anger? Treasure Jesus. You want freedom from being slothful? Treasure Jesus. Whatever your sin malady is, whatever flavor and mixture it is, the solution is the same in all situations. It is treasure Jesus. Finally, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. This verse comes into more focus now as we talked about this. Three short verses. Rejoice always. What does that mean? Just be happy? No. It doesn't mean just be happy. Rejoice where? In Jesus. Rejoice in God always. Pray without ceasing. Why do you pray without ceasing? Because you know that everything you need is in him. Everything you need is in him. Your joy, your peace, your, your state of mind, all of it rests in him. And give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. A lot of you guys want to know what God's will is. I can tell you 100% sure that this is God's will. 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. So here's an assignment for us, fathers. Let's go home with our family tonight and let's list in the last year the kindnesses of God toward our family. And have them write it down. And have them start each day remembering God's kindness to them. And don't forget to put salvation. And don't forget to put sanctification. We should be the most grateful, joyful people on the planet. No matter how bad it gets.
Because the good news is, not only is he faithful in the past, not only is he faithful in the present, he will be faithful in the future to take us to be with him forever. These people in Nehemiah had a glimpse of God's faithfulness. They had a glimpse of the greatness of their God. But they're just like us. They're busy people. They got stuff they have to do. They don't have time to treasure God. So they're in constant turmoil and pain because they failed to treasure the one great God. May God give us grace to treasure him. Why do you think we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Four accounts of the life of Jesus. This is a great place to start in treasuring him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and you are worthy of all honor and glory and praise. And there is no way that anyone can do justice to representing who you are and what you've done. Father, I pray for myself, for my family, for my church, that our priority in 2015 would be treasuring Jesus. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And that we would begin in a small measure to be able to rejoice always Pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. Father, I admit, I need your grace. But I need more than that. I need a picture of you. And that's all I need. By the power of your spirit, you can draw out worship and gratefulness and praise. Father, I pray that we'd be known as a joyful people. I pray that we would spread this joy to every person that we meet as you give us opportunity. Lord, I pray that we would see it in our own families, among each other. Father, we thank you that you can make us rejoice because of who you are and what you've done. Lord, help us to be joyful people. Joyful in you and in all you've done and all you're doing and all you're going to do. In Jesus' name.